Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Even before formally joining the staff of Miracle of Love as Outreach Coordinator, Mulan Montrese Williams was working with Orlando's transgender community. She opened her home as a safe haven to trans sex workers, offering them condoms, bottled water, clothes, and emotional support. Mulan also provided HIV testing after hours for those who couldn't make regular office hours at Miracle of Love. She volunteered for the group by providing outreach on the streets and in clubs. Mulan founded Divas in Dialogue a sisterhood for trans women of color, empowering, building, and strengthening each other. Divas in Dialogue ensures that the transgender community has a seat at the table, not just in Orlando, Florida, but nationwide. Milan was recently recognized by the McKinsey Project during Women's History Month as a trailblazer. The McKinsey Project aims to uplift black and brown transgender women ages 18 and up in the South Florida area. As a former sex worker, Mulan understands what her community needs. This powerful black trans woman believes you should never let your past dictate your future. Mulan, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? How are you today, Milan? I'm good. How's the weather there? Um, the weather here today is very nice. It is. It's very nice. Uh, we have uh-huh. the craziest weather, though. Um, like, today is nice, so that means tomorrow probably will be cold. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It goes up okay. and down. Uh-huh. Well, but we know, you know, spring is here. It's going to get better, so it's just going to get better. I mean, I'm here in Michigan, and our weather is pretty much the same. Today it was 70, although I think there was a day over the weekend when I had on a winter coat. So, you know, you never know. Exactly. But, the same as here. <laughs> you know. But the main thing is that, you know, as uh, my auntie would always say, as long as you're here, you know, on this side of the ground, it's a good day. So that's how I'm going with, you yeah. know. Amen. Well, you know, I was – a friend of Monica Roberts, and I followed her blog. I watched everything she did, and I was so happy to see that Dee Dee continued, you know, the Transgreal Weekly. And lo and behold, I was watching it, and who did they introduce? Regina uh, Livingston introduced you. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I mean, she's, you know, it's another new face. I know 
we have some some friends in common like Brie Rivera and not only yeah. Dee, Dee but everything. But it was like, well, here's a new face. And so you're in Florida. Why don't you tell listeners a little about Moulin Rouge Montrese Williams? <laughs> okay. Um, well, yes, my name is Mulan Montrese Williams. Um, Rouge is one of my nicknames my friends call me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born and raised here in Orlando, Florida. Um, I kind of had, I am 41 years old today. Well, not today, not my birthday's not today, but I'm 41 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a kind of a rough upbringing as far as the start of my adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just recently transitioned, um, lost, well, I lost my grandmother, and then I transitioned, um, and it was rough for getting jobs. Um, I had got a couple of jobs, but then due to people not comfortable with me using the women's bathroom, I was let go. Um, then I got an opportunity to work at a store and I got the job, and I was so excited, but then they tell me, but you can't wear, um, you can't dress up once you come in because we don't want our client's husband to think it's okay to wear our clothes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was the final straw of being let down and disappointed and, you know, being discriminated against because I was living my life in my truth, which is the transgender woman. So I turned to sex work. And that led me into doing over 20 years of sex work. And during that time, I really was brainwashed to thinking that's all that I could do, that's all that was in my future and everything. And all that changed with a meeting with Angus Bradshaw, who um, is over Miracle of Love here in Orlando. Um, And during that lunch, he basically offered me a job. Mm. And I didn't know why (laughs) or, like, you know, I I just was confused. But, of course, I said yes because I was open to change and I was going through a hard time anyway. I was, like, in and out of depression real bad. Just things weren't just going great. So that kind of – I I just said yes. Um, I, at the time, I didn't – I always had a passion for helping people. But at the time, I didn't – you know, I didn't see this in my future working there. So it wasn't a goal of mine or anything. It just happened. But once I started, I started off volunteering um, before they hired me like a year and a half later. And during that time I was volunteering, I just fell in love with the work. You know, mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with the work and I fell in love with myself again. So it's like, Everything went up from there, and that's how I got here today. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things you said, which I I think is, you know, it's so powerful, how you said that never let your past dictate your future. And that's what it sounds like you did. How did you adopt that, that, those words as your, your, your motto, your, you know, your, your tagline? How did you adopt Come up, come upon those words. Um, because as I was doing the work, I still couldn't believe it. And there were so many rocks when I first started working, and my past just came back to haunt me and haunt me like every day. 
And so I just, like, had to put up in my mind, like, you know, I'm not my past, and mm-hmm. I have a new future, and I'm not going to let my past dictate it. You know, my past is my past. My past is not who I am today, but my past has gotten me ready for today, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because, like you said, you know, your past is people do what they need to do at the time. And, you know, there's also the part of stigmatizing sex workers, but we all know that the reality is it's like, you know, it's like a catch-22. People don't want to hire you because you're trans, a trans woman, but you have to live, you have to eat, you know. And then, yeah. And but you're more than that. And I know that that, that, that part to me is just like so... So I knew um, someone, and we were going to give her an award, and someone, you know, who's supposed to be part of the community and love and thing, they said, oh, well, you know, yes, she's done great things, but, you know, she wasn't always a good girl. And, you know, and everybody said, look, like, what do you mean by that? And do you still, having gone through your past and come out on the other side, and how you didn't let your past dictate your future and the work that you're doing now, when you, do you ever find that you're able to draw upon that to inspire other trans women? Yes, I hear almost every day from a trans woman that I inspire them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I still work, that's one of the things I do, I work closely with trans women that are doing sex work, survival sex work. Um, I'm here for them, you know, and they know me personally. So they've seen it with their own eyes, my struggle, and they also seen the glory and the, and the newfound me. And they are so appreciative that I've gotten to this point and I'm bringing them with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you talk about how you were really moved by attending the Trans March and that you also attended a, a conference, and you saw powerful black trans women. And, you know, we're getting ready to come up on the 31st which of March, which is uh, Transgender Day of Visibility. And interestingly or not, one of the people, the woman who really started it, is here in Michigan, Rachel Crandall, and she did that in 2009. Wow. And, like, she thought it was just going to be, a, you know, a little thing. But... It grew, and more and more as I talk to people, particularly you know trans men and trans women, it's that 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 about visibility and seeing someone who looks like you, but also who has walked your walk, are doing so many things. What did what does Transgender Day of Visibility mean to you? Um, it means to me happiness. People, trans women and men being proud of who they are and people showing them love, showing them respect, treating them like humans. It's a day of celebration because it's a day that you want, you're saying, hey, I'm here. Look at me. I'm here. You know, and Mm -hmm. as you were saying about the trans march and going there, that's absolutely right. Uh, when I first got hired, I wasn't doing anything for the trans community. I was just working in the community. And it wasn't until I went to the trans march and went to the USCHA 
that I saw so many powerful black trans women. And, you know, I'm from here from Orlando, so we didn't have any role models doing advocacy work here. We didn't have it. So when I saw it, I was speechless. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was with my boss. He was with me. I said, mark my words, that is me. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to be up there with them. I said that. I said, I'm going to be up there. This is what I want to do. We didn't have anything, like, in particular, special put aside or any programs for trans at that time. But when I got back, oh, my God, that, that is when everything started. And it's because going to that march and going to the conference that I've seen so many women empower and doing big things, that's, that's what started me. That's what started me on my journey, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, again, like you said, you didn't let the past dictate it because I imagine there had been a time, particularly, you know, as you were after your grandmother died, and you know, you were you were being losing jobs and having this. I mean, I bet it never even occurred to you that one day you would be on, you know, speaking up, being that person leading things, speaking up and encouraging other trans women to stand up and speak up. I still can't believe it today. Sometimes I still wake up and can't believe it. I, I'm serious because it's like, you know, like I said, this wasn't a goal of mine. This wasn't an, an ambition or anything. This was something that knocked on my door, you know, and just so happened that I fell in love, you know, and it was actually things that I was already doing, but I really didn't know I was doing work then because it was just me being me. So, like, I wake up every day now and I'm just like, I'm going to work, you know, <laughs> and, and it's mm-hmm. exciting to me. Like every day, like some days are hard, but it's still exciting to me because I can't, I know where I came from. I can never forget where I come from. I can never forget that. And it's just like amazing to see where I am today. And I pat my own self on the back when it comes to that, because I, I really can't believe it. I, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of, of, of trans activists, I mean, like I know that, like Monica and Dee Dee, they were out of Texas. Carter Brown, he's out of Texas. Um, but then you have others who, some who are on the West Coast, some who are on the East, you know, like um, up near New York and everything. What is different, the voice that you bring coming from, really, Florida is the South. What is the difference in the voice that you bring, as opposed to someone who is from the D.C. area, who's always been in politics, or who's seen like that? What's a different kind of voice that you feel you bring? Oh, this is a hard question because, like, it's like we're all fighting for the same thing, but I think what's different here in my city for me and my community is that we've never had this before. You know, mm-hmm. we never had someone fighting for trans rights here. So I think our voices are all the same. We're all fighting for mostly the same thing. But I think I'm just making a bigger impact here in Florida because, well, in Orlando, because it wasn't here before. But I feel like mm-hmm. we're all fighting for some of the same things. Well, I want to take a quick break, and then I want to talk about the work that you do for your job, (laughs) but then also the organization that you founded. So we'll be right back. 
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're speaking with Mulan Williams. Now, you said when Miracle of Love, like he offered you a job, but you started out as a volunteer. What exactly does Miracle of Love do, and how has your job changed from being that volunteer to being their outreach coordinator? Um, so when I started volunteering, uh, my first duty was just doing outreach at the clubs. And that meant going to the nightclub, the Parliament House here in Orlando before it got torn down. Um, mm. Just being there when the club let out, passing out condoms, passing out pamphlets, inviting people to come in and get tested. Um, and then I was, they sent me to the 500-501 HIV AIDS class, and that's where you learn how to do testing. Um, and then once I learned that, um, one of my posts was I was testing at Walgreens every Tuesday. And then from there, that's when I started, um, before I even was hired, I started private testing because I realized one thing that people weren't really wanting to come into a center with other people there. Um, they were nervous. They were scared, you know, with all the stigma around HIV. So mm-hmm. I started private testing, and once I started private testing, uh, well, first of all, private testing was you could call me at any time after 10 o'clock. You can call me 1 o'clock in the morning. If I'm up, I'm going to come and open up the building, and it's just going to wow. be me, you, and another tester there mm-hmm. um, just to make them feel more comfortable. And once I started that, I saw things just pick up. So many people were inboxing me and hitting me up and wanting to do this, so um, they finally hired me, <laughs> and I became mm-hmm. the outreach coordinator, um, and also I helped manage the drop-in space. See, there's Miracle Love, and then they have an entity called the Stafford House. And the Stafford House is like a community center where people come in, use the computers, watch TV, um, just anything they want. It's just like a hangout spot. But we also mm-hmm. did testing um, for HIV and other STIs as well as getting them into treatment and getting them all the services that they need. Um, Miracle of Love has been around since, like, 1991. The guy who started Miracle of Love was Lowell Stafford, um, and he started it after he find, found out that he was HIV positive. And he wasn't getting the proper care from, you know, from going into medical centers and prevention agencies, um, because he was black, he just felt a lack of, you know, a lack of services for him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he created Miracle of Love, and after he passed away, that's when Miracle of Love named, got the community center and named it the Stafford House after him. Oh, that's nice. Do they still allow yeah. you to, like, come in at any time and do the testing? Yes, that's 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 mm-hmm. been there since I started it. It's still here. Um, 
it got kind of slow during COVID, but hopefully it'll pick mm-hmm. back up soon. But people are still coming in, and they're also able to come in on Sundays, and that's the day that's been picking up lately. You know, people can't come in during the week, so they'll call to come in on Sundays, and I go open up the building for them. You know, that is so important because there's still the stigma. And, you know, I had yeah. talked to a friend of mine who was like, initially, he said that he parked his car. He lived in um, Tennessee. He said he parked his car way far away and sort of walked to the center before he went in because he knew he didn't want anybody to see him because he knew exactly. that they would automatically assume that that he had HIV and, you know, and he didn't want to lose his job and everything. And it was like, that is just like so hard. And here in Detroit, we have the Ruth Ellis Center. When you were talking about how you have the drop-in center, we also have the drop-in center, which even before, it, it provided a place particularly for young trans kids where they could come. Maybe they went to school dressed one way, but they could come, change clothes, feel comfortable, be relaxed, hang out, you know, and, and that is so important, you know, to have community, to have a, your exactly. found family and to have community. Are you like the big sister to everybody? Um, more like the aunt or the mother. <laughs> Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Because everyone is so young. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the um, trans girls, they call me ma, auntie, yeah. And I take it. I want to be just their sister, but they, they swear I'm old, honey. <laughs> so uh-huh. I just go with well, it. You, uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, especially when you consider how many trans lives are lost at such an early age. I mean, you know, yeah, you wear that age and you wear Probably oh, yeah, and I'm proud of it because 35 mm-hmm. is the, yeah, being 35 is usually the cutoff year for trans. It's in statistics, and I'm happy to have made it to 41. Yes. I mean, yeah, you know, you know you've shown, you know, you, you've survived. You've shown how you've adapted to times, how you've continued to grow, even, like, through that. So, yeah. So what was it like? You know, you're volunteering, you're doing the work, and partly when you, if you're coming there any time after one, yeah, I mean, I mean between or after ten to come and open up the doors to doing it, you were doing that work because you loved it, and you you felt it was important. How did it feel when they said, you know what, we want you to be on staff? You know, you're not just a volunteer. We want you to be on staff and be to be doing this. I cried. Oh. <laughs> I, I cried. I cried, and then the first thing I did was call my mom. My oh. mom lives in, um, yeah, she lives in Rochester, New York, and my mother was always proud of me no matter what. I could have told her I painted the living room by myself. She would go crazy and tell me how proud of me she was. And that's with anything. Um, she she knew I was a street worker. She knew, so she always checked up on me and everything. And before I got this job, she was just like, what are we going to do, Milan? You're getting older. You know, she was really concerned. And when I was able to call and tell her, like, I'm an actual employee now, she was so happy. I believe she cried, too. <laughs> oh. She was like, oh, my prayers have been answered. I don't have to worry about you on those streets anymore. 
And mm-hmm. so it was a very good feeling for my to hear my mother say she's proud of me finally for something that she truly could be proud of me for. So mm-hmm. it was it was a life changing moment for me. Mm-hmm. But share, but but what's nice is like she loved and she was concerned about you, but she loved you. Yeah. What you did for her, for a living, but she like every mother continued to want better for you. She wanted to see you be appreciated for the woman that you were and for the work that you did. And I mean, and, and that's, you know, you got me, you got me blinking, you know, blinking back to tears because that's so beautiful that you were able to call yeah. and say, mom, you know, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. That is, that is really beautiful. So you got this going on. Then you started uh, Divas in Dialogue. What is that? Yes. About? Yeah, so I started Divas in Dialogue, and at first it was just strictly a trans support group. Uh, we would meet once a month, and it would just be like a a meeting ground, a a party almost, you know. It was we bought – I'm so sorry, my dog is barking. We bought um, – and every when we first started, the group was like 25 strong. And these were mm-hmm. all trans women who never met each other, um, trans women that, you know, usually wouldn't even be in the same place, in the same space, under the same roof, enjoying each mm-hmm. other. Um, and let me first tell you what our um, mission statement is for Divas and Dialogue. It is a sisterhood of trans women of color where we build, empower, strengthen each other, and ensure that we all have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so and so I so like I said, we started off as just a simple support group. Um, I had a friend, Daniel Downer. He was um he is the executive director of Rose and Convo. It's another um group that we have here at Miracle of Love. And he gave me my first ten thousand a check for ten thousand dollars to start the group. All right. Um so that's yeah, you know, he believed in me when I kind of didn't believe in myself because I had wanted to start the group forever, but, you know, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think I can do it. You know, like I said, I came from a background of just doing sex work. So this mm-hmm. was a whole new world for me. And the thought of me having a group of women, I was like, what am I going to tell them? Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to learn? Like, I, 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 I don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I know enough yet. But, you know, he believed in me before I believed in myself to do it, so I went for it. Um, in the beginning of it, I was able to do a master class with Valerie Spencer, Araya Lester, mm. um, and Age United. And from that, they gave us a grant for $30,000 wow. and wanted us to create something, you know. So this is like another, like, my anxiety was through the roof. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? Um, so I came up with the Divas and Dialogue learning course. So we had the support group, and now we started the learning course. And with that was, it was like life skill building. We um, talked about, STIs, HIV in one of the classes. Then we went to body positivity, learning how to dress for success, job resume building. And we also, at the end of it, we had a graduation and got everyone's name changed. 
Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, having your name changed, it really helps a lot when it comes to discrimination and just presenting an ID that represents yourself, who you are in that day, you know. So, and mm-hmm. from there, we just got so much recognition and just things started to take off from there. It's just like everything has been up since then. Um, we get more recognition now. Um, we have so many ladies that are a part of Divas and Dialogue now. And, you know, we just want to keep striving and just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, I mean it's, it's just like so you started talking and then you did it, and then, but the ability to be able to support each other and to give each other tips on what you need to know and, and what you can do and what you can't. I know that, you know, we both know Bree, and one of the – Bree Antoine told me this story. It's like she said that she had found out what it took. And um, she had lost her identification, and she went to the Secretary of State, and this woman was going to try and tell her, well, I can't use that. And she said, yes, you can. And how she did an education to this woman at the Secretary of State to get her ID, but then she was able to share that with other trans sisters because she said, you know, that not only is it traumatic, but often not having your ID right and with your name holds you back. And you have to do that. And it sounds like that you have gotten a group of, of sisters together where you took a, you can all share tips, you know, encourage mm-hmm. each other and lift each other up. Yeah, and that's and, and one thing I can't say, that's truly what we do. We've mm-hmm. we've had some phenomenal stories. I can't share all of them, but we've had some phenomenal stories within Deepest and Dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I know you also failed to mention that you opened your you opened your home up as a safe haven. Now, how um, important is yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I uh, my home was a safe haven um, years before I mm-hmm. even started volunteering. Um, that's just always been in me to help others, and that's how I. I, I had a, a relationship with the people at Miracle of Love. They had an outreach coordinator there before me. Um, his nickname was Dunk. His name's Pashad Williams. And he knew me from the clubs and doing shows and everything, but he also knew I was a sex worker. And he would go out his way to bring me, like, the biggest bags of condoms. <laughs> and mm-hmm. make sure, Yeah, he would do that, and he would come at least once a month to make sure that I was stocked up on condoms, you mm-hmm. know, and from I couldn't use all those condoms, and I kind of noticed girls not having them. You know, when you walk, when you're doing sex work, you can tell kind of what's going on in the street. If you get a date and he's persistent about having unprotected sex, you know then that he's used to having unprotected sex out there on the stroll. So I took it upon myself to start giving out the condoms to the girls, and I lived close to where the street was that we worked. So my house kind of just became the safe haven because when someone was getting robbed or running from someone, they would run to my house. Mm-hmm. Actually, me and my neighbor's house. My neighbor, she's, um, she's also a trans woman and was into sex work then as well. So, you know, it started out that we could always go to her, but once I moved here, it's like my house then became the safe haven. You know, um, you know they would come here, get condoms, food, 
you name it, clothes. Like when girls get out, they used to always just pop up at my house when they got out of jail. I don't have mm-hmm. any hair. I don't have anything this. And just the word got out. So that was mm-hmm. way before I even got the job. I started volunteering. My, house, my home was a safe haven. Wow. That, that is, that is you know, and to do that. Okay, now, do you have a, you know, you know you've been on both sides. Do you, what kind of relationship do you have with the police in your area? And are you able to advocate for the trans women who are still into sex work to maybe change how the police deal with them? You know, I know that um, in Maryland, uh, Karen Kendra Holmes, she is writing, like before the pandemic, she was take, doing classes and writing with police, so to change how they interacted with women, trans women. Do you have any kind of relationship with the police, and is it changing as you're more visible? Um, I'm going to be 100% transparent with you and everyone mm-hmm. that's listening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the police here, um, they have had trans cultural competency um, training and all that. But me personally, from my past and my trauma with the police, I I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. The only time I see the police is when someone is killed or hurt mm-hmm. that are trans. They come to me. I've had to identify bodies. Um, I have had to be the one to tell someone that their child was out here and got killed. You know, they come to Mm -hmm. my house when something happens. They know me. But even out there, when I was younger, when I first started sex work, I had the most worst experience with officers taking advantage of me, um, Mm -hmm. blackmailing me to do things in order not to go to jail. And I still haven't got over that. I don't mm-hmm. care how many trainings they've had or how many gay people they have on the force. That's just something I haven't personally been able to forgive yet. No, yeah. Nor forget. Okay. I can say I forgave. I forgive it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's water under the bridge, but I can't forget. And mm-hmm. no matter how many trainings they have or anything to say that they're for us, and they can be for us, but you can't forget that there's always a bad apple in the bunch. That can just mm-hmm. mess it up for, for, for me to have respect and, you know, try to work with them. And that's, mm-hmm. that's just for me. I haven't mm-hmm. got over that yet. Well, you know, that seems to be the feeling across the country. And I, even though you have people who are working with them, in part they're still working with them because, like you said, there can always be one bad apple, you know, who – who didn't believe in the training and is going to use their police power to oppress and, you know, victimize a trans woman. And so, you know, we still have a a long way to go. And, you know, you still have, you wonder if they cared about, if they really took an interest in and cared about and, and what they were learning would we have as many murders in the trans community? Would they be out there not just policing and saying, oh, she's doing wrong, but, oh, 
there's somebody who's out here who are hurting trans women, let's look for them. You have to wonder, and you know, it'll be a while, I think, before we get to that point. Right. And just thinking, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about when I first started sex work, I was raped, and they took my phone, robbed me and everything, and I remember going to another trans woman like, hey, can I use your phone? Can I use your phone? I just got raped. And she just looked at me like, you know, oh, baby, I know you're new out here. If you call the police and say that, you know, they're going to they're gonna be questioning you, and you probably can go to jail because you're mm-hmm. out here mm-hmm. to me. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what they taught me, and that's because that's what they were taught. So, you know, mm-hmm. the police, it's just, it's always it's just always been something with them. I'm so happy of the progress that they're making within the community. But, yeah, again, for me, I just, I can't get over a lot of things. I know that's bad to say. I just, I'm not over it. But you know what? It's honest and it's real. You know, I mean, you know, often you know how they they always say, oh, you have to be the bigger person. You have to get rid of, get over it. Well, yeah, you know, there's a way that you get over it, but it doesn't mean that you have to forget and just like, Okay, well, everything's fine. You know, you you have to use your voice, and that's what you're doing. You're telling the truth. You're using your voice and your experience. You know, to where that's the only way that a change is going to happen until people understand the horrors that have transpired. You know, yeah. but you know, so so. I applaud you for being there, you know, because it would be easy to go like, oh, well, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. Everyone's path, you know, is different, and we have to acknowledge those paths. And, you know, there's nothing for you to, to, to worry about saying that. With the pandemic, how has it changed for you not only in your outreach work but for Divas and Dialogue? Uh, well, when the pandemic hit, my outreach was taken from me. It was gone. And mm-hmm. I found myself depressed about not being able to work because mm-hmm. I was like, I was in love with my job. I'm in love with my job. So that was kind of depressing for me. And I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Am I going to lose my job? Because we didn't know what, like, when we're going to be able to get back to work. And as far as the group, we had to put that on hold. You know, we recently been able to um, start back, but we have to have smaller groups. Like I said, when we first started, we had like 25, 26 girls, you know, and since then we've had more girls to um, join us. But when we have the groups now, we have to have a sign, they have to sign in beforehand, and it's only the first 15 who sign up now. So it's like Mm. we still can't get all together but we can have 15 that way we can still be social distancing and um, doing um, the thermal checks, the thermostat checks. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, it's still, uh-huh. Well, what about the, no, the saying, HIV testing and things? Um, yes, the private testing I was still able to do because um, our job did build, like, a, a shield for us. Mm-hmm. But um, that became that it was only by appointment only. You could only have one person in at a time. Um, If you had someone come with you, they had to sit outside. Um, But with private testing, it it still kind of went on. Of course, it slowed down. 
but people were still able to get tested um, by making an appointment to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you, are you back to work or are you working just remotely or how is that affecting, you know, you're an outreach coordinator. Oh, no. We are, <laughs> we are back open now. We are not at full capacity as far as having mm-hmm. our groups and everything. Like I said, our groups can only be up to 15 people now, and that's because of the space we have. That's the only amount we can have that everyone could still be at a safe distance from each other. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, hopefully that changes because I'm ready for it to open up. I'm ready to be under one roof with everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. How is it affecting, you know, you've made your home, you and your neighbor made your home safe haven. I mean, you can't, I mean, I know you have to be mindful of what's going on, but if a sister shows up on your door, what do you do? Um, I help them, and um, I'm going to be transparent about that too. Mm -hmm. Um, It can sometimes be overwhelming. Mm. It can be very overwhelming because I'm not up at the hours that I used to be, mm-hmm. but that's the time that they're up. And um, it can be challenging, but I do it because if I'm not doing it, no one else will. No one else is doing what I'm doing here, and they are they are attached to me now. They are they they expect me to do my job 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong, you know, they're knocking on my door no matter what time it is. And also, um, like, I have condoms on my porch, a bucket. I leave a bucket out there of condoms. So Mm. that's like Mm -hmm. someone's at my house every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also um, we have a lot of trans women, trans women living in hotels. Um, So it's a few things I do extra for them, like, People that live in the hotels, I hold their medication for them if they need me to, and they come once a week and get seven pills or, you know, whatever they need for the week for that, that it can be safe, you know. Mm-hmm. They use mm-hmm. it for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you truly are their auntie, you know. I ain't going to use mother. I'm going to use yeah. auntie. Because <laughs> 41, yeah. you're still a baby. <laughs> you're still a baby. <laughs> but we're going to take our second break, and I want to talk about the program that you're doing for Trans Day of Visibility. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with Mulan Williams. Mulan, um, as I said, March 31st, 
International Transgender Day of Visibility. Like I said, um, Rachel was often tells the story how she was just sort of thinking about it, started it, and now it's observed across the world. It's in Ireland and Scotland and all over different cities. For the, the day, you have a program that is going to be called Say My Name Now. It's a Say My Name Now campaign. What is that campaign about? Yes, that campaign is um, it's a campaign bringing awareness to the fact and the importance it is to say our name now because, you know, we also gather once a year for Trans Day of Remembrance. Mm-hmm. where we say the name of our fallen siblings who have been killed. And, you know, so in reference to that, on Trans Day of Visibility, we're asking people to say our names now while we can hear you. You know, tomorrow isn't promised to us. We might not hear you say it tomorrow. So mm-hmm. on this day of visibility, let me know you see me. Let me know you love me now. Because if something, God forbid, was to happen to me, you know, everyone will be saying my name, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're just, this campaign is just bringing light on, say my name now. I'm here now. Don't just say my name in death. Say it now. Give me my flowers now, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what the campaign is all about. Um, we'll be releasing it on March 31st. And we'll also be making some big news that I can't, um, stay right now until the 31st. Um, so I hope everyone is looking out for some big information on the 31st. Um, you'll be able to see it via Facebook on my page. And we'll also, if you look on my page coming up, I'll have more information about the events going on downtown. Okay. Well, when you, when, when you say that it's cool, I will, I will share it as many places as it is, you know, I often think about that, particularly for trans people of color, because, you know, if you go to the Day of Remembrance, most of the people whose names they call are black and brown folk, you know? Yes. And, yes. and often, I mean, and here, I mean, I've gone to many programs where many people who are sitting in the audience aren't black or brown, and they come together that one day and go, oh, it's just horrible, you know, that all these people, they're killed, some are killed as children. But like you said, the rest of the year, particularly if you're a black or brown or a person of color in a trans community, it's like you're invisible. They'll see a news report, somebody else got killed. That's what you hear, the news report. Somebody else got killed, you know, and and then they don't really dig into the fact that this was somebody's child, somebody's parent, somebody's sister, brother, you know, they don't do that. And until in November, then everybody goes, oh, that's just horrible. But this life was almost like forgotten. You're, you know, you're also asking trans-identified people to record a 20 to 30 second video, what, what is the purpose of that? What are you hoping that they'll tell? Um, they're going to tell you why it is so important for folks to say their name now. Mm-hmm. 
they're, they're going to be telling them who they are, that they exist, that we're not going anywhere. And, again, don't wait till something happens to me to say my name. I'm here now. That's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna see in that campaign. Mm-hmm. How, what is the age range that you're seeing uh, of people who are com- coming in and participating in divas and dialogue? Are they? I mean, how young are you seeing people? And, they are from. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, do you do you have a space that's just like for like people, younger people, or is it just like you all come together? It's all of us. It ranges from 18. Um, I know one member that is 51, another mm-hmm. that is like 59. I think 59 is the oldest as of now. But there's no age limit. Mm-hmm. A sisterhood is a sisterhood. There's no age limit. Mm-hmm. Is there either through you know, Divas and Dialogue or to your job at the Stafford House. Is there something that comes, I mean, because, you know, you're, you're seeing kids who are coming out as trans even younger. What type of support is there for that? Um, if I come in contact with anyone younger than that, I refer them mm-hmm. to the Diva Coalition. And that is an mm-hmm. organization specifically for youth. I would send them here, but also um, they also can participate in Divas and Dialogue. I just remember um, the last time we met, we went to the Central Florida Fair, um, and it was a young trans woman there, only 13 years old. Of course, Mm -hmm. she um, had permission for her mother to join us, and um, her mother was supposed to come with her, but something came up, so she allowed um, her to come along with us. So it's actually 13. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Now, with her, I could see where she can call you mom, you know, but the rest of them got to call you auntie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, actually, um, I forgot to say I was also um, gave the privilege of finally getting, um, I was able to hire another trans woman to come along to help me with Davidson Dialogue. And her mm-hmm. name is Yanni German. And it was her, the the 13-year-old is actually her gay child. That's her, her oh, uh-huh. child. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm Auntie and Yanni's mommy. <laughs> oh, that's actually, that's sweet. You know, because it is. I mean, we're seeing, like, younger and younger kids, and it's like, where do they go? I mean, when I go to the Ruth Ellis Center, we have some kids who come, like, they finish, they come out of school. They're in, in school by day and, you know, this is where they go before they can hang out, um, you know, with other young people who are, like, in their teens. Now, I know, I, you know, you know I'm kind of, everybody got to look at Facebook. And tomorrow you have, you're participating in HIV Awareness and Symposium for Women and Girls where you are a queen bee. <laughs> so uh, how did that come about? And you are a queen. I don't know about the queen bee, but you are a queen. Um, <laughs> how, how did you get, how did you get happen, and what's that about? Um, well, she has an event every year. I remember like two years ago she had an event, and I was one of, um, she had testing there. So we had our mobile <laughs> unit um, at, her, at her event. 
And from there, she's close with my boss. So mm-hmm. I, I met her in, in, you know, in passing and everything, and we became friends as well. And, you know, she's having that event um, in honor of Women's Month. And she invited me to come speak on behalf of the trans women. And we're just going to be talking about HIV prevention and, you know, things that go along with stigma and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's nice, too, that, you know, she invited you to participate in this event that's for women and girls. And that, you know, often you'll see people, oh, it's for women and girls, and then it's like the after for, oh, we have to remember our trans sisters. No, you know, we're all, you know, if it affects women, it's going to do that and that you should be there, that you're there, that you're speaking out. I know, I think it's just, like, incredible. How did did you... Yeah, I was very honored that she asked. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should be. I mean, you, you really should be. Okay, all right. You told me that you got a couple of grants to get um, Divas and Dialogue going. But how do you keep it? How do you keep it going? You know, we're talking about funding, and how can people support you with their dollars? Yes, they can support me going to the Miracle of Love Inc. dot org website, and mm-hmm. they can just go to the donation portion of it. And there's a little box they can um, hit in. Um, different different entities of Miracle of Love will pop pull down, and one of them will be Divas in Dialogue, and you can just click on that, and then you can donate away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can also, if anyone wants to help with our emergency fund, they can always cash out, dollar sign, Divas in Dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that uh, trans sisters of color also, you know, they recognize that sometimes there are immediate emergency financial needs that someone might need. Does Divas in Dialogue, are you able to help people if they're in, you know, in dire straits and need some money? Do that cash out? Um, Yes, I have been able to help. I'm not able to help, like, with that all the time because Mm -hmm. when I first started out, a lot of the things I was doing was from my own pocket. Mm -hmm. Um money that I had saved over the years, I, I was just, I, I've always been a generous person, but mm-hmm. um, due to job change, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not um, able to have as much of the money I used to have in the past with doing sex work because I am working for a nonprofit and we all know you're not going to become rich working in the mm-hmm. nonprofit. No, that's but, true. But um, I'm able to right now give out gift cards to trans women in need. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also started um, testing for trans women, and trans women, they get a $50 gift card if they come in to get tested, mm-hmm. as well as if someone is in need, I can help them with hotel fees and things like that and food. Mm-hmm. So if they want to share their story uh, for the Transgender Day of Visibility, how does someone go about doing that? Um, Well, unfortunately, we've already um, completed that, but we Mm -hmm. sent out a mass text 
to all the trans women that we knew in the Orlando area and that mm-hmm. were a part of Divas and Dialogue, and we set up two different days for them to come in to do their recording, as well as mm-hmm. we had a few women from out of town that participated, and we sent them a the same backdrop as we had so they can participate. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed that in um, – it was like a flyer that you had up. You had it in English, but you also had it in Spanish. And I think that that's – you know, we recognize, like I said, we know that there are a lot of black and brown trans women who have been – we see them on Transgender Day of Remembrance. How important to you is it that you – reach out and that you work together with your Latinx sisters? Um, To me, it goes hand in hand. They're our sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, it's as simple as that. Like, um, my organization says trans women of color, but we also have white trans women, and they also understand that it says that because we are the ones that have been suffering the most. Mm -hmm. You know, but the Latino sisters, they're all sisters too, just the same. So it's, you have to help. You have to help all. A sisterhood mm-hmm. is a sisterhood. That's mm-hmm. how I feel. Well, you know, one of the co-founders of Trans Women in a Color Project here is a Latina sister, uh, Liliana Reyes. And um, she and Bree, you know, that was one of the things, just what you said, that they recognized, you know, these are our sisters. We've got to work together hand in hand. So I think that's just yeah. like, that's really great. Well, Milan, I want to tell you, I mean, first of all, I was really happy to see you participate, like I said, on the Transcreo Weekly. That's a great way to keep our stories going, that people, visibility does matter, and it's so important. And the fact that you're so open to telling your story, I appreciate that. So I want to, I'm looking forward to hearing what you're going to do on on the first, I will. I'm happy to help you. Um, let people know about that, and to support you in any way I can. And I hope that now that we've connected, um, as you continue to do more with divas with dialogue, you get back with me and we can talk more about it. And I would love that. I just want to thank you. Tell you I'm honored that you had me on here today. And we will definitely be keeping in contact. I'm a new fan. I went on your um, iCloud and listened to a few shows, and I'm mm-hmm. now a new fan, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I am too, you know. I am too. I'm, I'm always happy to, to make a new friend, and that's what I feel I've done. So I want to thank you again for tonight, and um, I'll watch for that thing on the 31st. And, oh, the videos, will we be able to see some of them? on Facebook, on the uh, Divas in Dialogue page, you know, the people who yes, are recording will. On, oh. mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be releasing everything on March 31st. Um, uh-huh. And it'll probably be released around, I believe the events start around 4.30 downtown. So probably mm-hmm. around 4.35 they'll be released on Facebook. Okay. And I'm probably going to awesome. share it about a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and I'll, I'll share another thousand, so we'll get it out there. I Thank think that's you. awesome. Okay, well, look, you have Thank a you great so evening. You know, it's been wonderful talking with you. I want to thank my guest, Mulan Montrese Williams. She's the outreach coordinator for Miracle of Love, 
an organization founded by Lowell Stafford in 1991 for the distinct purpose of providing accessible HIV AIDS prevention programming and supportive assistance to service the multicultural needs of communities in Central Florida. Milan is also the executive director of Divas in Dialogue, a trans organization that offers a support group as well as life skills for trans women of color. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.